0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. It was 1985, and I was— Sitting as a ninth grader in the Thomas Wolfe Auditorium, bored out of my mind because it was my older sister's baccalaureate ceremony. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a day when we used to gather in big auditoriums and celebrate things like this. This would be the night before graduation when we would come into a, a maskless building and sit shoulder to shoulder and clap and, and listen to people give speeches. We would hear hundreds of songs, and then we would watch the class talk about how they were going to run out and change the world. Remember those days? Well, that's where I was at in 1985. And I don't remember much about that night except for the speech that the um, volunteer soccer coach gave that night. I think his name was Clay. But he, again, he began addressing the class of 85 by quoting a song that had earlier that year in February been on the number one charts on Casey Kasem's Top 40. Remember that? Casey? Kate? Yeah, all right. Uh, top 40 for two weeks in February. It was by Journey. Does anyone know what song that was? I mean, I'm sorry, Foreigner. Foreigner, not Journey. Does anyone know what that song was? I want, yeah, all right, pastor. I want to know what love, what love is. I still remember him quoting that song. And and here's what the words say. I'm not going to do the whole, the the chorus. It says, in my life, see if you can relate to this. In my life, there's been heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. Can't stop now. I've traveled so far to change this lonely life. And then the chorus. I wanna I want know <laughs> what love is. I want you to show me. I wanna feel what love is. I know you can show me. And, and the reason I remember this is because he made a point. He said, I wanna know what love is, is actually the heart cry of every human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. Without exception, we all want to know what love is. Or put another way, at some point in life, all of us have or are currently asking, am I loved? That, that's the question that we're going to be asking this morning. And by God's grace, that's, that's a question that, that I want to be able to answer. And last week, we began our, uh, our teaching series and we went over three things. Number one, that life is about what? Life is about—we have a a slide, I think, that we can put up there. Life is about what? Ideas. And ideas have consequences. We also identified five major life questions that many are asking. For example, am I loved? That's what we're going to be looking at today. Why do I hurt? That's next week. And then the following weeks, does my life have meaning? Why can't we all get along, and is there hope for this world? And during that time last week, we also began exploring five counterfeit worldviews, idea viruses that seek to give answers to these questions right here, and I want to really reiterate something as we're moving forward here is, and that is that these five worldviews, secularism, Marxism, postmodernism, new spirituality, and Islam, they all contain truths. Everything, what I want to make a point here is that everything in them is not false. But what is important here is that when they also seek to answer these questions that we're asking, these life questions, for example, today, am I loved? They want to give answers, and the, what we're wanting to show is that their answers are not true. They're not what you need to be following if you want to know what true love is. And yet these ideas, as we know, are growing, and they are gaining traction in the culture in which we live and in our society. And as disciples of Jesus, we want to be a church that knows that understands what they believe, and then that will help us to know how to really express the truth of the gospel of what really can answer these questions. And when it comes to love, Marxism would argue that we can't find love because the elite have basically rigged the system to cause us to always want more. That's what the elite. The elites have done. Marxism points to it's not your fault, it's somebody else's fault that you're in the place that you're in. And I read an article earlier this week that was written by a self-proclaimed Marxist, and he states this, love is an instrument of capitalistic, of capitalist domination and gives people hopes and dreams of improving their personal lives. This wretched emotion, however, is not real. Love is a distortion of reality that forms part of our false consciousness. It was created by the ruling class, which helps to maintain their dominance. And while Karl Karl Marx condemned the wealthy elite for exploiting women, he himself destroyed his own marriage by impregnating their housekeeper. Now, postmodernism says that we speak of love to mask what we really are after. And what we really are after is sex. And this is, this: uh, those who are in power control us through guilt by making us feel ashamed for having sexual thoughts and feelings. And so what is their solution? What is a postmodernist solution to this? It's to explore sexuality until the guilt feelings are gone. till the the guilt feelings cease. New spirituality says that the universe is love, that we are part of the universe, therefore we are love. And if you don't feel love, it's because you're not familiar enough with your own universal power. And so that you need to reunite with the universal love and then you will become attractive. Islam, which is the conquering worldview, It doesn't talk much about love, but in the Quran, it's it's clear that Allah's love for us must be earned. We have to earn Allah's love through submission, and the idea that Allah is love is not a part of Islamic thinking, but you know, of of all the five deadly worldviews that we're examining this morning, secularism may have had the greatest influence on how our society views and defines love. And I want to spend some time looking at secularism and and what it teaches. First of all, secularism teaches that nothing outside the material world exists. Nothing outside the material world exists. This life that, that we're living in right now is all that there is. And you know, if that's true... If this life is all that there is, the apostle Paul actually spoke to this in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. He said, If if this is all there is, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we need to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And if this is all there is, in other words, you better get yours now. And secularism also paved the way for Darwinism, which teaches that humans are nothing more than complex animals. And so for us to restrain ourselves, to, for us to restrain our impulses, is actually an unnatural thing. We need to, to do what's best for us in the moment. We need to, instead of caring about uh, people around us, society, we need to love ourselves. We need to preserve our lives. We need to preserve our happiness. This is the, the teaching of secularism, and this worldview can clearly be seen in, uh, in our media and in our music and in uh, the things that we watch, and it's clearly displayed. It was clearly displayed last year at the 77th Annual Golden Globes Award, and it, was, it happened when an, an actress, a famous actress, was receiving an award And she advocated for abortion rights in her speech by saying this. I've tried my very best to make a life of my own making. I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. To choose when to have children and with whom. And basically what it appears from what her statement is that at some point in her life, she, she was impregnated with a child, and this child threatened getting into, in the way of her being able to achieve her dreams, her goals, becoming the best actress that she could be. And so she came to this crossroad where she had to make a, a decision because she knew that someone's life had to be sacrificed in order for the other person to live, to fulfill dreams. And she chose to put the child to death without the child having a choice in the matter. And I know that what I'm talking about, guys, is really heavy right now. But this really is a worldview that is being taught in our culture. It, it leads to devaluing human life by proclaiming that this is all that there is. And then, then it goes on to teach that if you don't feel loved, it's because you haven't freed yourself from society's constraints, especially concerning the area of sexuality. um, It advertises that sexual freedom can bring about love and and, and the intimacy that we so crave. And it argues that since the material world is all that there is, there is no right or wrong way to express yourself when it comes to sexual desire. It's primarily about the survival of the species through procreation and nothing more. So listen, when you hear a song, when you hear, uh, watch a movie that normalizes staying the night, living together outside of marriage, or same-sex attraction, you need to realize that that's the influence of secularism, the worldview of secularism. And we need to remember, remember ideas have what? Consequences. And these ideas are no exception. Jeff Myers writes, if exposure to sex could fulfill our craving for love, humanity should be feeling very loved by now. Isn't that true? But the truth is it doesn't. He goes on to give some stats. He says, in the 1950s, there were only two significant sexually transmitted diseases which were treatable with penicillin. Today, there are more than 24 which have no cure, uh, half of which have no cure. He says that pursuing intimacy through sexual transactions defeats the very thing that people say that they're after, which is someone to love and be loved by for a lifetime. Engaging in sex prior to marriage is closely connected to increased depression, sexual unfaithfulness, and marital disruption. And when talking about pornography, science shows that it's not just uh, bad that we're we're putting images into our minds; it's actually changing the anatomy and the physiology of the brain itself. One scientist said, "It's like crack cocaine." causing the brain to become neurochemically dependent. And so this view of secularism, it promises love, intimacy, and freedom through unhindered sexual expression. But in the end, it has led countless numbers to physical, emotional, and relational devastation. It has failed to comfort and to satisfy the human heart that continues to cry out, I want to know, what love is, and it's caused many to ask the question: Does true love even exist? And we're going to move into the answer that is yes. We're going to move into life now. It, do, there, true love, true love does exist, and according to ancient, our ancient Hebrew scriptures, it exists in a person—a person that came to earth, the God-Man, the Son of God, whose name is Jesus. But before we get into that, I want to uh, dive into that. I want to ask you a question. What is true love? I want you to, 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 in your mind as you're sitting there, what is true love? In other words, what would you need to experience to know that you were experiencing true love? How, how, can you, how can you measure it? Now, I want I want to ask you this. Do you you don't need to answer this out loud, but do you know anyone that loves you? Think about that. Is it is it a, a family member? Is it a friend? Is it a teacher, a boss? Do you know anyone that loves you? I want you to think about that person. And why do you why do you say what well, why would you say yes? If your answer is no, I don't know anyone. Why would you say no? Why would you say that no one loves you? How do you know someone loves you? How do you measure it? Well, I want to give four examples real quick. That uh, we're probably all familiar with. I'm gonna ask you a question, you just answer it. In Star Wars, does Darth Vader love Obi Wan Kenobi? No, no. How do you know that? Because he's trying to kill him. Well, he didn't try, he's struck him down only to come back stronger. Okay, he did, who, did, who does Darth Vader love or who is he devoted to? The Emperor right? Why? Because he's willing to sacrifice his life for him. Let's go on to the next one. How about the Lion King? Does Scar love Simba? No. Why? Because he wants to kill him. How about Mufasa? Did Mufasa love Simba? How do you know? Because he, he died for him, didn't he? How about in the quiet place? Now, I am. how many of you guys have seen this movie, by the way? Okay, a lot of you. Um, I'm not recommending any of these movies, except The Lion King. I'm not recommending any of these movies, but, but I'm using them in case you heard about them. But in this, in this movie, let me ask you this. Does the father love the daughter who doesn't believe that he does? Okay, I'm not going to spoiler alert this thing, but just trust me. We know that this father loves his daughter. And lastly, Braveheart, does William Wallace love Scotland? That was pretty good, wasn't it? We know he loves Scotland. Why? Because he was willing to fight for, fight for her and to lay his life down. Was that good? Or not? I mean, come on. That was pretty good, wasn't it? All right. My family is totally embarrassed, and it worked. In all of these examples that I just gave, um, those who loved did something, didn't they? They did something for those who they were loving, which teaches us that true love is sacrificial. True love, if you're looking for true love, you need to understand that true love is sacrificial. It expresses itself through sacrifice. These people in the the examples that we just looked at, they laid down their lives. They sacrificed their well-being for the good of others. That is a mark of true love, which is sacrifice. And what's, what's, it's like the mom that, that sacrifices for their children. They, they will sacrifice sleep. They will fa- sacrifice finances. They will go without so that their children can have. Mamas, you guys, you ladies love wonderfully. That's a great example of sacrificial love for your children. And what's interesting is the more that we sacrifice, the more that we sacrifice for someone out of love, the more we grow to love the one that we are sacrificing for. That is, a, it's an interesting uh, thing that happens. So true love is sacrificial, but you know what? God's love is also sacrificial. So I want to look at God's love right now. We're going to look at three aspects of God's love. And this is the first one, that, that God's love is sacrificial. In John 15, 13, Jesus talks about sacrificial love. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life. For his friends. In Mark 10:45, he says, For even the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's love is sacrificial, and you might be saying, Well, that's cool, James. Um, there are plenty of people that I know who don't believe in God who don't, or who don't believe in your God, who don't believe in Christianity, who selflessly sacrifice their lives to serve others. And you know what I would say? I would say, you're right. I would say that even Muslims in Islam, they do that. They actually are taught to take care of orphans. That's because Muhammad uh, was an orphan, so he had a special heart towards orphans. So even Muslims lay down their lives, they sacrifice, they can do good things. And this is because God has created humans with, uh, first and foremost, he, he created us in his image, and he's given us the capacity to love sacrificially. We have the ability to lay our lives down for one another. But there's one primary thing about God's love that elevates him well above man's love. And it's found in our passage, Romans 12, this morning. And let's look at that this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses six and eight. If you are struggling with knowing God's love and, and asking the question, am I loved? And I'm talking to the church right now. If you are struggling, this is a passage. We talked about renewing our minds last week. This is a passage to go to on a regular basis to wash your, to brainwash yourself, to wash your brain in the truth. to to cleanse your brain with the truths that will set you free from or answer the question of whether or not you're loved. So let's look at verse six. It says that for while we were still weak, Paul is talking about us, at the right time Christ died. I want to stop right there. At the right time Christ died. Now that word weak means helpless. In other words, he's saying we couldn't help ourselves. We were too weak, to help ourselves. And I know that many of us can identify with this. We are willing to make sacrifices to help weak people, to help people that are in a a difficult situation. Uh, We did that earlier or or last year, at the end of the year, with uh, collecting gifts for children in need. Um, We would be, people like to help people that are in hurricane uh, situations with hurricane victims helping the elderly who are unable to do their own yard work, you know, things like that that are good. People, uh, we are willing to help people who need it and who deserve it. That's a a key word, deserve it, that we think deserve our help, that need it and they deserve it. But let's look at this, look at verse 6 again. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for what? The ungodly. the ungodly, which shows us that God's love is undeserved. That's the second gospel truth I want you to see about God's love. God's love is undeserved. It doesn't say that God died for the godly. It says that he died for the ungodly. That means he died for his enemies. He died for those who were rejecting him. He died for those who were crucifying him. He died for you. He died for For me, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse seven says, for no one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. What's he saying there? Basically what he's saying is that humanly speaking, we will sacrifice ourselves. We will extend our love to those we see as being worthy. If we think someone is worthy, not always, but if we see that someone's worthy, we will lay our lives down and die for them. Well, th- think about it. How many of you guys have ever been to a wedding? That was a silly question. We've all been to weddings, and at the, when they're at the, at the front, sometimes they write vows for each other. Have you ever been there, and they're, they re- they're reading, and they say, you know, Will, you are amazing. You are Handsome, your eyes are this and that. You know, you complete me. You're the best thing I've ever seen. Blah uh, blah 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 blah. What are, what, are, what are we saying in that point? At that point, we're saying you are worthy of my love. That's what we're saying. And I'm not saying you should marry someone that's not worth. You know, don't. You know, you. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But if you're taking notes, write this down. We love those. Humanly speaking, we love those who love us and will die for those who we deem worthy of our love. That's that's human love. We We love those who love us and we will die and lay down our lives for those who we deem worthy of our love. But let's look at verse eight. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling, while we were still opposed to him, while we were still unlovable, Christ died for us. Is that not amazing? This, this teaching, it's, it's all throughout the Gospels, um, it comes straight out of Jesus' mouth in Mark 2, 17. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are healthy don't, have a, that don't need to go to a doctor, but those who are sick. And then the, here's, here's really awesome. If you're struggling with feeling loved this morning by God, here, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, God's love is for the weak. God's love is for those who have failed. Those who realize that they don't know what love is. Those who realize that they have not earned his love. Those that realize they don't deserve it. That's who God's love is for. In his book, The Creaking on the Stairs, Finding Faith in God Through Child Abuse, Mez McConnell describes how he grew up being abused as a child. And because of this, he began to question whether God even existed. So he, in his adult life, he went away from God and he chose a life of drugs, stealing, violence, and eventually he was put into prison. And at some point he he came to know the love of God. He became a child of God. He was forgiven. Christ came into his life and totally transformed him from the inside out. And he writes this in his book. He says, as I grew to love the Lord more and more, and the church more and more, I became scared. What if people find out what I'm really like? Have you ever felt that? What if people knew who I really was? That's what he's feeling in in this. He said, what a liar I was. What a fanaticist? What if they realized that I had done some truly awful things in my life? I thought a lot about the victims over the years that I had. I thought about a lot of my victims over the years. The people I had stabbed, the homes I had burgled, the drugs I had sold, the frauds I had committed. I dreaded people who knew me in the past coming into the church to expose me as a charlatan. I used to have nightmares of all the people I had ever heard coming to a church service and sitting there listening as I told them of my new life in Jesus. I could see their sneers. I could hear their jeering. I could sense the anger, hostility, and cynicism. What a joke. A lying rat like me hanging around respectable people and pretending to be a Christian. It sounded ridiculous to me, and I knew I was genuine. Then one day I discovered these verses in the Bible, Romans 5, 6 through 8, our passage. I'm going to read it again. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He continues and says, I discovered that Jesus didn't just die for me, but he did it knowing just how ungodly I was. He saved me when I was at my weakest, when I, well, when I was at my least desirable. He saw me at my worst and still saved me. He didn't reach out to me because he saw some redeemable feature in me like my fantastic sense of humor. There was nothing lovable about me. There was no good in me. Instead, his own love compelled him to do it. The sense of freedom and relief that passage brought to me was profound. No, the people in the church didn't know what I was truly like, but Jesus did. Yes, people I had hurt could sneer and question my motives, but Jesus had still died for me. They couldn't change that. I couldn't change that. Satan himself could not change that. The good news is that God's love is undeserved. And you know, it's when you come to that place that you realize that you don't deserve God's love, that you actually are in a place to receive it. There were two men, Jesus tells of a parable, of the two men that went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, uh, today it would be a religious person, someone that seemed to have it all together, and there was a tax collector, someone that people would consider a sinner, someone that would say are far away from God. The Pharisee prayed to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, and then he lists all these things that proves it. He goes, especially like this tax collector right here. The tax collector, Jesus said, wouldn't even look up, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me a sinner. Jesus said, the one, the tax collector went away justified, not the Pharisee. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is undeserved. And lastly, God's love is fatherly. Now you may have had a bad experience with your father. So what I want you to, if that's your case, I want you to think about what your heart wishes your dad had been like. Romans, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12 says, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, speaking of God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's love is, is fatherly in three areas. I want us to see this. Number one, he's personal. We need to understand that our, our God, our father is not a force. He is not an it. He is a person. Now he's not a human. I'm not saying he's a human, but he has a personality. He, he desires to personally interact with his creation, unlike the God of Islam and other religions, he tells us, he calls us to himself and and says, call me father. So he's personal. Secondly, he's present. He's not a a distant father, like the deists would say. He didn't wind up the universe and just walk away. He is very present with his children. You know, parents, if you wanna know what the best thing you can do for your children, Number one is know God and walk with him. Secondly, is be present. Be present in the lives of your children. This is, we get this example from the Father because he is present in our lives. Unlike the ancient religions, God's temple is man, not a building. Thirdly, he's parent, parental. He's parental. And that means... He does what is best for his children, even when they don't want him to do it. He is parental. But you know what I've learned and what this passage in Hebrews teaches us is that if we will learn to submit to God's care and his discipline in our life, in the end, we will not regret it. We will grow and prosper and we will bear fruit That lasts. So, to answer the question, Am I loved? That's the question that we've been asking this morning. These five worldviews that we are looking at, they teach one of them teaches that God doesn't love you unless you do exactly what He says. Another says that God or love doesn't even exist. Another says, Forget love and, and pursue sex. Another says, send out loving thoughts in the universe and they'll come back to you. While another says, stop this frivolous nonsense about love and just join in the revolution. We can walk that way or we can receive the truth and believe that the creator of the universe Creator of the universe, the one that desi- des- designed each one of us individually, that he desires to meet our deepest need for intimacy and security through his unearned, undeserved, unwavering love. It's not based upon our performance, it's not based upon our perfection, but it's based upon. Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And we've said this before, but you know, every other, every other religion teaches that you must be worthy or make yourself worthy in order to win the love of that God, their God, or their deity. The gospel reveals that our God died for us, the weak and the undeserving, to win our love. That is crazy. Our God died for us. Our God loves us. It's crazy, it's ridiculous, but it's true. And it's available for anyone who is willing to receive it. So I just want to close by asking you this. Are you ready to receive the love of Christ? Are you ready to know what love is? Um, here's how you'll know. Number one, you have a desire. You have this longing that you want to know what love is. That, that's the first part. Secondly, you can, hear, you can hear Christ calling to you this morning. Um, you, you realize that you don't deserve God's love, but you believe that it's available and that he loves you and that he wants you to be with him, and that he wants to forgive you. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to be his child. And let me tell you this. If, if this morning you hear that voice, I want to encourage you, don't harden your heart. Don't ignore it. Respond to Christ this morning. Come to Jesus. Accept his sacrifice for you. Call out to him, and you will receive his love. You will receive his forgiveness. You will receive his spirit. Church, what about us, those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus? Um, let me ask you this. Have you wandered this morning as you've been sitting here and as you've been listening and you've been hearing the, the, the words of Christ, have you wandered? Have you forgotten that he loves you? Have you forgotten that he loves you not because of anything you've done or because Uh, You were fearfully and awesomely made. That's not why he loves you. You are, but that's not why he loves you. He loves us because he's merciful and he's gracious. If you think, and here's the thing, if you think that God loves you because of what you did or don't do, when you don't do what you should have done, you will wonder, uh, you won't feel like God loves you. And his love is not based upon what we do. It's based upon what he has already done for us. Have you forgotten that? Have you left your first love? If that's the case, I want to encourage you this morning, come back to Christ. Remember his love. Remember that he died for us while we were yet sinners. Amen? Let's pray.